What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Come on, people, my brothers and sisters. Don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. my friend. I will sue you for everything you have. I will sue your ass. You're a motherfucking asshole. It's not as I can, sir. You hear me? A fucking asshole. Fuck you. I will get you for this. I am sorry. I am sorry to use those words on television. I apologize to all my kids. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you, you're a fucking asshole. A fucking asshole. 
This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by the WWE Network. Head on over to wwenetwork.com slash TMPT and start your one-month free trial of the WWE Network, courtesy of your friends at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And if you sign up this month before you do anything else, check out all of the brand new content hitting the WWE Network including the newest season of Camp WWE, the WWE Hidden Gems, and the latest season of Table for Three. It's all going down at wwenetwork.com slash TMPT, where you could start your one-month free trial right now if you head on over there while you're finishing up this episode. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only John Paz and John, this week we are taking it down to Memphis as we welcome in WWE Hall of Famer, the one and only Jerry the King Lawler, the King of Memphis, who will be joining us this weekend at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey for an absolutely amazing time that we will be having with the King, with superstar Bill Dundee, with the franchise Shane Douglas and all the great guests. That will be at the Legends of the Ring convention, but it starts and stops with Jerry Lawler, and what an amazing, amazing guest to get on the show. Obviously, now a podcast host himself, but there are so many things to talk about with Jerry Lawler that happened in Memphis, that happened outside of Memphis, but when you want to single in and you want to talk about a topic, it's hard to break them down in the time you have allotted to you. So we try our best today to get as many great stories as we can into this episode, we try to hit on Andy Kaufman. We talk about the WWF's original invasion of Memphis. We talk about so many great matches and moments in the history of Jerry Lawler. And he gets going with some amazing stories that if you've heard them before, you're in for a treat because he retells a couple great ones. And John, as I get to welcome you in here now, having Jerry Lawler on the, the show, obviously you told me off the air, when you see the area code pop up on the caller ID, you see that it says Memphis. It can only mean one person, and you finally got Jerry Lawler locked and loaded, and what an amazing treat to have him added to our uh, little collection here of uh, Mount Rushmore-like guests on the two-man power trip. Yes, absolutely, Chad, and it was a pretty great moment when you see Memphis, Tennessee, and you just immediately think, obviously, the king of Memphis, Tennessee, and that's Jerry Lawler. So a few times doing this show, you know, you'll, you know, you feel like a marker, you, you know, you'll pop for certain guys that you're talking to. And it's, it's, you know, it's more rare for me than I guess you would think, but there's, I mean, we've had so many great guests on, whether it was Mick Foley, who'll be coming out uh, an episode next week, whether there's Nash, Goldberg, Bischoff, our cat was cool. Jared. I mean, it's so many, and I mean, you might even going to say all the other millions of great names we had on, but so many of those times, you know, you, you almost kind of just thinking like, Oh, wow, it's a great guest. But rarely do, you know, I get popped like the certain guests, like, when Dusty Rhodes uh, called me, it was a, was a huge moment, big pop. I was like, oh, my God, Dusty Rhodes called me. So when Jerry the King of Lawler, when you see that Memphis area code, and I see that he's calling me, pop big time for it. I mean, he, like you said, one of those guys where you could say Mount Rushmore, and I wouldn't even bet an eye, and I would totally agree. And I've had a lot of fans say that he's on their Mount Ru Rushmore of wrestling. So Jerry's one of the biggest stars of all time, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And obviously, when you talk about kings, he's the first king that better come to your mind because he is the king. And he had quite a run, and he's still wrestling. And you could see him, obviously, Saturday night at Creative Pro Wrestling in St. James, New York, in uh, Long Island. So if you haven't seen Jerry and you want to see him wrestle, he's still doing it. He's getting up there in age, but he's still wrestling, still kicking ass. But uh, you know, as a backtrack, and of course, we talk about this interview Man, what an honor it was to get him on and to talk about all the legendary things in his career. We really only talked about the WWF very little. We mentioned Brad and that epic feud. We only talked about that a little bit. We really kind of focused on his time in Memphis. You mentioned Mick Memphis, obviously, when McMahon was down there and really kind of playing that heel character against Jerry Lawler's face character. And you finally first saw that kind of hint of that dark side of Vince. And we go into that whole story with Jerry, and he has some great insights, some great stories into that. Obviously, we're going to talk about Andy Kaufman, one of the greatest, most epic feuds of all time. Mixed in sports entertainment, really for the first time in 1982, that you could really say, you know, 
it was mixed with sports entertainment, but really with that Hollywood appeal and really got that national sensation because obviously Kaufman was big on Taxi, Saturday Night Live, doing all these comedic shows, Tony Clifton, and all this other stuff. So that was one of the big times in quote unquote sports entertainment, but in a wrestling company, as, as Andy Kaufman would say, the Southern wrestling. That was an awesome thing to get into because it's such an entertaining feud. Kaufman was such a great heel. Obviously, Jerry, one of the greatest faces of all time. We do talk about Austin Idol. We do talk about Tommy Rich and that 1987 feud of the year that he had with them, which was just unbelievable. You mix in Paul Heyman. You mix in a little Bam Bam Bigelow. You mix in a little bit of head shaving. So we go into that whole story. We go into the near riot that happened to conclude that feud or actually conclude that feud just for albeit those few months but talk about how the the heel kind of won the feud and we go into the whole detail about that epic feud also have to mention this real quick an epic feud as well against terry funk the empty arena match dave Meltzer said broke the scale broke the five-star scale in 1981 that empty arena match at the mid excuse me, at the uh, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. So, I mean, man, we run the gamut of just legendary epic feuds that Jerry the King Lawler had. An unbelievable little story goes a long way with Jerry. You know, you mentioned one thing, and boom, he has just an unbelievable story and an unbelievable passion for this business. And you can tell in his voice when he's reliving the Memphis days, when he's reliving the stories, he does truly have a big passion for this business. He does truly love the business, and that really shows. And it goes to show you how a guy like him can have a almost near 50-year epic run in professional wrestling. So unbelievable. And to span so many different eras of the business uh, to see when he broke in versus what he can actually uh, commentate on today if he's on a panel for WWE or if he is wrestling guys uh, on the independent scene. I mean, he just had a pretty publicized match with Joey Ryan uh, so he's really run the gamut of the history of the wrestling business, seeing everybody come through uh, Memphis, whether it's Jesse the Body or Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage or, like you said, a Bam Bam Bigelow. I mean, really, anybody and everybody crossed through Memphis at some point, even to think about The Rock in his early days to be down there. I mean, there's so many people you could go through. And I'm glad we really focused in on Memphis. I'm glad we talked about Mick Memphis. I mean, you and I... When we first discovered that, I mean, we were kind of like, how does nobody talk about this? This is an amazing uh, storyline. And here we are. We get to actually talk about it with the guy who was really uh, in the middle of it. And I'm sure um, coaching Vince McMahon on uh, how to really get under the skin of some of the Memphis wrestling fans. But I also love there how you kind of uh, just very uh, delicately plug that next week we have Mick Foley on the show. So, folks, if this is the first time you're ever listening to this show and you hear we have Jerry Lawler on next week and the following show we have on Mick Foley, that is just a small sampling of what you get when you download a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast episode. You can run the gamut of the history of the business just like Jerry Lawler's career by going through the past episodes And, John, before we get into the wrap-up, got to get your WWE Network recommendation. There's so many to choose from. Obviously, we wish that some more of the Memphis television would get to the WWE Network, but I know there's a lot of uh, gray area as to who owns what era. And uh, there's so many WWF matches you could choose from, but I'd love to hear what you got to say. What's your network recommendation for Jerry the King Lawler? Yes, WBnetwork.com slash TMPT for your free month of the WB Network. And I'll just throw out, you know, pretty plain and simple, just a great epic feud. Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler. Easily can find it on the network. So first watch The King of the Ring. And if you want to, you can fast forward because Bret went the damn thing. You can go to the coronation ceremony. So that's WB Network. Go to WB, go to pay-per-views, go to King of the Ring 93. Then after that, what I would recommend is going to pay-per-views 93, going to SummerSlam 93, and watching Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler. Just unbelievable match. I love how Doink gets involved, has a great match with Brett, and Jerry gets involved, has a great match with Brett, and the finish, and really building that feud, and, and how Jerry gets the win. I mean, you're really, really going to love it. If you really enjoy some good old-school wrestling with some great storytelling and a way to really, really build a feud and have the heel escape with the win somehow, even though it didn't feel like it or seem like it 
and the crowd really, really getting agitated, annoyed, and wanting to see Lawler get his comeuppance again and again and again. Check out King of the Ring 93, SummerSlam 93, and the rest of their epic feud on the WWE Network. So that is WWEnetwork.com slash TMPT for your free month of the WWE Network. A very subtle thing that I just want to point out to you before we uh, we, we get it on over here to the to the interview. That feud started in 93, obviously went through the whole entire span of 93, 94, 95, into 96. Brett turns heel in 97, so they kind of level it off a little bit. Lawler's not necessarily cheering for Brett, but he's still playing the heel as well. But when Brett comes back in 2010... And Brett does the famous promo on Monday Night Raw where he calls, calls out Shawn Michaels. Albeit, Brett is the greatest when it comes to psychology. And John, I know you're such a huge Brett fan. You probably did notice this. But he turns to Lawler, looks down, and he says, Hey, King. And Lawler gives him the snigger. Hey, you hit man. Just so, little things like that get me going as a wrestling fan. I'm sure you probably noticed it too. But how great is that that these two could carry on that feud all those years? Absolutely awesome because... You think of some of the stuff you see today, and it's like, man, they forget they're feuding, or you forget that they don't like each other. I love that old school psychology where it's like, we didn't like each other then, we don't like each other now. We feuded for many years in the WWF and had this long run of just one match after another, and you know, bringing Hakuchi and Doink and Isaac Yankum and John Pierre Lafitte and bringing all these guys to try to take out Bret Hart. Brett didn't forget it. Lawler didn't forget it. Obviously, Lawler had all those years of ripping on Brett's family. So I do love those subtle things where guys keep their psychology throughout many years and do not let anything down as far as a rivalry. They're not going to like put it to bed and not let anybody forget it because they themselves don't forget it because they're old school and they definitely keep it. You know, it's just close to the vest, and they keep that feud close to the vest. And there's a great story, and I'm not going to give away too much, but there is a great story about that in this interview as far as the Austin Idol feud and Jerry and his, uh, you know, his nether regions, if you will. There's a great <laughs> psychology, old school kind of process with that as well, which may be subtle to some, but I just thought it was, wow, that is great storytelling, great psychology, great old school thinking, and that, again, is really keeping it close to the vest. Absolutely. Now, why don't you, I'm going to steal a line from the King here. Why don't you do me a favor and just like Helen Hart, put your false teeth in backwards so you can eat yourself to death. Just like Jerry would have said to uh, Helen Hart back in the day. So let's get it on over to this interview now. If you want to subscribe to the WWE Network, it's wwnetwork.com slash TMPT. Take John's advice and go watch King of the Ring 93 and watch the, uh, the beatdown that the King gives the, uh, the crowning, if you will, to Bret the Hitman Hart after his King of the Ring victory, and we'll get it on over here to Jerry the King Lawler, and join us tomorrow, June 9th, in Monroe, New Jersey, at Legends of the Ring convention, and then head out to St. James, New York, for Create a Pro, Pro, excuse me, Thy Kingdom Come event. It's going to be a day with the King for the two-man power trip, and we are thrilled to be doing so, so stay tuned, and John, let's do this. Let's hit him with some two-man power trip of wrestling business, and let's get it on over to the King. Jerry Lawler. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer. Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, 
He is a WWE Hall of Famer. He is an AWA, USWA, World Class, CWA, and a 52-time AWA Southern World Heavyweight Champion. He's on the Mount Rushmore of Wrestling. He is Jerry the King Lawler. Enjoy. WWE Hall of Famer and the King of Memphis. He is a AWA World Heavyweight Champion, a USWA, a World Class, a Smoky, a, 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 a 52-time AWA Southern World Champion. This guy has done it all. He is the one and only <laughs> Jerry the King Lawler, the man who will be joining us on June 9th in Monroe, New Jersey at Legends of the Ring. Mr. Lawler, it is our honor to have you on with the two-man power trip. Well, thank you, guys. I'm uh, excited to be here. You're, uh, nice accolades, talking about all those titles I won there. That's that's pretty cool. Actually, it was 168, but who's counting, right? <laughs> it's almost funny. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to lose count. I don't want to uh, leave anything off, but there's so many titles, so many accolades, uh, something that I guess you could say are fit for a king if you really were to break <laughs> it down. But we're so happy that you're going to be joining us on June 9th at the Legends of the Ring event in Monroe, New Jersey, as well as joining us for a fun evening out in Long Island for Creative Pro Wrestling at their Thy Kingdom Come event. That is just going to be one hell of a day. We're so happy you're going to be with us. So, the, so King, I got to ask you, how do you feel about getting back in the Northeast? I know it's not Memphis, and I know you've been there a lot, but how is it coming back to the Northeast for a couple great events? Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I, I wrestle literally all over the place. As a matter of fact, now... Memphis is one of the uh, we we just don't have much wrestling going on in Memphis anymore. Uh, we still do a lot of independent shows and what we call spot shows close around Memphis here in the you know in West and that sort of stuff. But uh, mainly, gosh, I'm wrestling all over the place. I wrestle. I'm wrestling in Dallas this coming uh, Saturday night. Uh, heck, I do a lot of the Northeast wrestling uh up in the uh you know in the northeast area so i'm I'm kind of just all place one thing i love about the memphis scene though even though with the spot shows or whatever we still see a lot of the same characters we see you appearing on the shows and obviously superstar dundee and doug gilbert and it's obviously every time you do these shows i'm sure it's got to be some kind of uh almost like a homecoming that it's the same cast that you've been around for so many years and i don't know is there a comfort level with working with these guys because obviously you guys can all still jump in that ring and, and do what you do best yeah, well, that's uh, no doubt about it. I mean, the names that you just mentioned there, um, we were we just did a big show down in Ripley, Mississippi, just two weeks ago. Doug Gilbert, I wrestled against Doug Gilbert. Uh, Tommy Rich was there. Bill Superstar Dundee, Grandmaster Sexy. Yeah, it is. You know, the uh, I guess, like you said, a comfort level in know, you know knowing when you're when you're in the ring with uh, with a guy like Doug Gilbert that I've. It seems like I wrestled uh, you know, 500 times or something like that. And Bill Dundee, we looked it up one time, and I have wrestled Bill Dundee over 500 times. So yeah, there's there. You know, it's almost like second nature when you when you have a match with those guys. Yeah, we just talked to Doug not too long ago, and we were trying to figure it out and, and try to pinpoint a number. But there's so many spot shows that we probably have never heard or seen results for that you can access right. stuff online. But I'm sure there's hundreds of matches you probably even forgot. There's so many that you guys have worked together. Oh, absolutely! Without it, you know, just uh, like just w just mentioning Ripley, Mississippi, just came to mind just a, uh, a minute or so ago. Uh, but yeah, these there's there's so many that uh, they all they all tend to run together, and uh, you know, it's it's hard to keep track of where you're going to be this next week, and 
and uh, where you have been in the past. It's a funny thing to me is I, I have people come up to me sometime and want to know uh, what's my actual, lo- they they just think that I should know right off the bat. What's your one and loss record? How many matches have you lost in your career? And I'm going, are you kidding me? <laughs> but, it, you know, that, like you said, that it just becomes, I don't want to say like a job, but but in, in a sense, that is what it is. You know, you don't, uh, that would be like asking, uh, you know, you guys, you know, how many times you've been to the radio station? How many times have you done this, uh, this, this show and that sort of thing? It's just, uh, it just all kind of runs together after a while. Oh, I could definitely, uh, I agree with you on that. There's some interviews that you, you forget, but you don't want, you're not trying to make it a personal thing. It's just, you do so many of them. That you start sure. to, you know, you start to, you know, maybe misremember a couple to, uh, to, to, for the lack of a better term. But, you know, I look at myself and John as, you know, quote, older school fans. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that you came to the WWF, let alone uh, that you've been there for 20 plus years, almost uh, 25 years. And, and I think of Memphis and I think of all the great stuff that you did down there. And as the WWE Network has evolved and we start to see more content get out there, I think a lot of fans don't realize that there's so much of the Memphis uh, content on the the world scheme of, of content, you know, that there's out there. Video content that you guys did with not only uh, just classic Memphis and also the other sh- uh, promotions. Like you even think of a Power Pro, you think of all these great promotions that you have. Has has the has the has the what kind has been released from the Memphis territory? Oh no, that absolutely hasn't even been. Like I said, hasn't even been scratched. You can go on YouTube and spend months just uh, you know watching one video after another uh, and seeing all the old Memphis stuff. Uh, and like you said, we you know we went from the uh, CWA to the USWA to. Just all, you know, all kind of different Memphis promotions and then all the way up through Power Pro. And and then when when Power Pro, that was almost like that was the that was the concept, uh, the original concept of what NXT, uh, how that came about. I mean, the, the, that was the first time that the WWE uh, used another territory as a developmental territory. I mean, that was when when they started uh, when I started working with them up in. WWE, then Vince decided, hey, you know what, I've, I've sort of, uh, my, my company has taken over and, and not, and not, not um, intentionally, but what happened was, you know, all this talent started migrating to the WWE and, our, and the territories, the, those, those independent territories, they ran out of talent, so they kind of fell by the wayside. And, um, you know, Memphis was one of the last territories left so Vince uh, said, "Heck, if I don't, if I don't uh, start, where am I going to get new talent from? Where am I going to find new new wrestlers from in the future?" So that's how that started with with Power Pro Wrestling. I mean, some of the guys, the, like Kurt Angle, had his very first uh, pro match down here. The Rock, you know, had his uh, first pro matches down in, in Memphis. Uh, we started guys like The Undertaker years ago came through here. Uh, Stone, uh, stunning, and you know, came through Memphis. Uh, Sting, the Ultimate Warrior, when they were a team called the Blade Runners, they were wrestling here in Memphis. Uh, just so many of the so many of the future WWE superstars either started or came through Memphis, or the or the WWE sent them down here before they were ready to you know to get them developed a, a little bit. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of people don't give Memphis the credit that they should for not only just the superstars, but also the angles that kind of migrated into other promotions. And we won't really uh, get into pointing fingers at this point of the interview, maybe in a few minutes, but not right out of not right out of the gate but you know i think of even little storylines like in power pro where the cwa and power pro kind of uh you guys or not even cw uh, mcw and power pro invaded each other's locker rooms and took over the shows we saw that on raw and smackdown last year and it it really started in the year 2000 back in uh, in power pro and in memphis championship wrestling but one thing I got to ask you about, and I've been dying to ask you this for pretty much my whole life here, is that when Vince McMahon came down into Memphis as a heel in the mid-90s, and they call it McMemphis, but you got to see the genesis of Mr. McMahon in the Memphis territory. So do you remember this whole thing developing, and how did you get Vince oh, to come oh, down? Absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, that was part of the deal of uh, you know them sending us some uh, talent to help us out down there to keep us afloat with while while i was working up there as well and you know the the deal 
it, it first started basically the deal with me and Bret Hart was going really big in the WWE. And so, you know, I asked Vince, I said, is there a possibility that we could send, uh, you know, you could send Brett and Owen and some of the guys down and, and help us out on Monday nights in Memphis. So that's, that's what it did. And then uh, I, now the one thing I can't remember exactly how it happened was I, I think that, uh, I think that I had one of the championship, our, our Memphis championship belt up in, uh, up in the WWE when I was doing a show up there. And Vince, I think it was Vince's idea to, to make a, to make an interview or to make a promo holding the belt and talking about, uh, you know, that he was sending uh, some WWE talent down to this, uh, you know, he just, there was just this first, I think, uh, opportunity to be, as we call it, a heel, you know, to, to talk down to the fans. Whereas in the past, all Vince had ever done was, you know, the commentary and WWE and, and talk up the product and talk good to the fans and everything. But then when he was, when he was defending the WWE against this uh, inferior Memphis territory, it's his first opportunity to be a heel. And I think he fell in love with it. And then he came, he, you know, he volunteered to come down and uh, he, he sat at ringside during one, wind up tripping me and had Pat Patterson there as his bodyguard. And I honestly believe that that was, like you said, the genesis of the heel, Mr. McMahon, who, who uh, I think became still in my mind, the best, the best heel, and I'm not saying this because I work for the guy or trying to kiss up to him or anything, but during the Attitude Era with Stone Cold Steve Austin and the stuff with The Rock, I think he's the best heel that has ever been in the WWE. And you could see it three, three plus years before it actually dawned in the Attitude Era on that Memphis Championship Wrestling and the McMemphis storyline where you see him, yeah, like you said, he got physically involved, he got knocked out at one point, and you saw the WWF guys, which was a majority of babyfaces, including Randy Savage coming back to Memphis, and Brett coming down to Memphis, and even Owen Hart, before he was a heel, coming to Memphis as a babyface, but they were bad guys, because they were the outsiders, and it was so cool that you guys could manipulate one audience, your Memphis audience, to hate the WWF guys and, and, and jeer them. And then on the WWF side of things, you're the top heel. And it's unbelievable. So it's very cool that you were able to kind of play both of those roles at that one time. Yeah, and it was it was really a lot of fun, too. And that was that was like a first time ever when Brett came down. I, I had Brett on my uh, podcast, Dinner with the King, as a matter of a little plug there. But I had Brett on my podcast, and we talked about that at length. And, and he said that was his time ever to work where the crowd was against him and and he he just really enjoyed it and uh you know it, it was just it, it just it was so much fun and so uh you know that that made it i mean especially for me because i've been working you know down in memphis and the crowd loved me and was behind me all the way and then of course going up in the wwe and i was you know the most evil villain that they had up there for a while and so it, it was it was fun uh, to get to do both of the things at, at you know at the same time basically. And if you think back, uh, your awesome babyface run, if you will, in Memphis, there's so many feuds and so many moments where you're like, "Wow, that was awesome!" And then you got you guys just kept it rolling, like, "Wow, that was great! That was great!" First one that sticks to my mind is Terry Funk and the eight, the 1981 match, you know, the empty arena match, the match that Meltzer said broke the scale originally of, of his, of his, of his matches, if you will, just take us back. And that feud with Terry Funk, who we talked to not that long ago. And for some reason or another still hates you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, uh, now, first of all, I, this is one of, I started to say something about this a while ago when I talked about fans coming up and asking me, you know, if I remember how many matches I'd won and how many uh, I'd lost. And uh, my, my typical answer to every fan is, you're asking me to remember something from 1981, and I can't even remember what I had for breakfast. So, uh, hmm. I, and I always use an excuse, I got hit on the head a lot, and my memory is not the great the greatest now I really have a real extra excuse of the fact that I re just recently, a couple months ago, had a stroke and uh, lost probably about 2 million brain cells, the doctor said, the neurologist said. So uh, I, I, going back and remembering all of this stuff, when you say 1981, is, is really tough on all the details. But um, there, I, I just our, our stuff would kind of, 
uh, it was like the Andy Kaufman stuff. It just kind of happened. It wasn't that we sat down and spent days or weeks or months planning this stuff out. Uh, when we did that live TV every single Saturday morning in Memphis for 20 straight years, uh, stuff just happened. And, and, and we didn't, we didn't sit and write guys promos. You know, the guys went out and they did their own, they cut their own promos. And Terry Funk has always been one of the best in the history of this business at cutting promos. And so it, it, that, that thing just came about. And the fact that Terry went out one day on his own, uh, you know, just, this is his promo. And he said, you know, I hate to come to Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, I hate this city. I hate everything about it. I hate Jerry Lawler most of all. But he said, when I step off the plane in, in Memphis, Tennessee, everybody recognizes me and they start treating me like crap. He said, you know, no, nobody will carry my bags at the, at the airport. I get into the taxi cab. The guy, when he realizes who, I tell him, take me to the Mid-South Coliseum. You know, he drives me all over Memphis just to run up a big bill. He said, then when I get to the building, you know, I get treated with no respect whatsoever. He said, everybody is on Jerry Lawler's side. All the f***s are for him. They're all against me. The ring announcer is for him. They're all against me. The referees, he's got the referees in his pocket. And he said, so you know, what I would love to do, I would love to get Jerry Lawler in a ring without any fans on his side, without any police or security there that's on his side, where it would just be me and Lawler, no referee that he's got paid off. And, 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 and that's how that whole thing came about. He just made an interview like that. And we said, Hey, why don't we, why don't, that's a great idea. Why don't we just get early to the Coliseum before the fans are there and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have a match at the EMT arena match. And, and so that, you know, that's how that thing ha happened. And, and it just, it grew legs. I mean, it went all over the place. Uh, uh, Terry Funk's brother, Dory was booking down in uh, Florida. You know, he heard about that. He showed that match on the TV down in Florida. Next thing you know, they're booking me and Terry in the main events down in Florida. And, um, it, it just, you know, it just, it was one of those things that, that just happened. And, um, and then, you know, we were, we were off and running. I mean, that just, uh, with, with that empty arena match that led to a, a, a feud between Terry Funk and I that's lasted to this day. Yeah. And you guys wrestled not that long ago. You had a big, uh, six man tag or a couple of them in a row. And he still definitely has some animosity towards you, you know, this day. You screwed up his eye, you know, you, you, you burnt him, you, you know, you did all this other stuff to him. It's one of those things that it's just chemistry over that period of time is crazy. And the fact that you guys have been able to maintain that and the crowd has been able to still get, you know, juiced up from you guys. It's pretty amazing, right? Looking looking back. Well, it really is. And it, and it's a testament to uh, to Terry and, and, and myself in, in the fact that, you know, we're, we're still so old school that we don't, you know, we don't want to let, we don't want to, I mean, disillusion the fans and, or, or take away from something that the majority of people really believed in and really got behind and really, really enjoyed. It, it's, it would be a shame to do anything nowadays to diminish that and, and where people are going to look back and go, Oh gosh, it wasn't what I thought it was. So, you know, t Terry, uh, I, I hope he doesn't really uh, hate me, but he, you know he wouldn't tell anybody, anybody anywhere, especially on any kind of media, that he that he doesn't uh, hate me. You know, so that's that's just a testament to the professionalism of of Terry Funk. You've had so many great feuds. Funk is one that sticks out. And you mentioned Andy Kaufman briefly. That really sticks out. We had Bob Zamuda on a while back, and he was talking about it. I mean, he went into this whole 20-minute diatribe about what you did to him, what you did to Andy, all this other stuff. But obviously, you were a major part of Man on the Moon. And then this awesome documentary that came out last year from Netflix, Jim and Andy. What was the relationship with you and Kaufman? Because obviously, kind of Letterman, the pal drivers, the neck brace, so much history there. It's possibly one of the most fun feuds when you really look back and see how great Andy was at playing up a heel and how great you were as a babyface. Well, a Andy was the best. I mean, he, you know, there's no no doubt about it. And he just, um, I think one of, the, one of the things that people don't realize is what a major role uh, professional wrestling played on Andy's life and his and his career. I mean, he, you know, he told me at one point that, that he got his whole, his whole persona came from watching wrestling as a kid. 
he was he he was a big wrestling fan. We'd watch it all the time. From you know, he's from Long Island, New York, and he said his favorite was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. And he said I used to watch TV, and he said I could tell even as a kid. He said I could tell that this guy was intentionally trying to make people hate him and, and to make people dislike him, but yet he was still popular. He was his people still wanted to pay money to go see him and everything. And he said, that just stuck with me all throughout my entire uh, career and performances. And he said, I said, I'm not a comedian. He said, people think I'm a comedian. He said, I'm not a comedian. I hate it when people say that. I've never told a joke in my life. Not one time have I ever told a joke. He said, I'm a, I'm a performance artist. He said, is the way I like to describe myself. He said, I just like to, to, to do things that, that and and he said, I guess from my from my wrestling uh, influence, he said I enjoy getting a negative response from an audience more so than I do a positive response. And he, a lot of the things that he and Bob Zamuda would think up be things. I mean, you know, they once hired forty people, went into a zoo, and 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 all of a sudden staged this big riot kind of thing where everybody started running saying the lion is escaped the lion is escaped <laughs> you know they, they just they they hired 40 people to run through and just created panic you know they just loved doing the off the wall and andy loved doing crazy off the wall stuff like that and that was you know from from him watching and wanting to be a heel and he he hated doing taxi he hated sitcoms um and so that's and then he created you know he, the first before the first bad guy that he created before he be, became the intergender champion was Tony Clifton. If you remember that, he, he did oh, that yeah. just so he could go out and flat out be a total heel. He put on makeup. He, he put on this, uh, this whole outfit where he became a, a bad uh, Las Vegas lounge singer. He would go out and insult the crowd and insult the audience, <laughs> just like he'd seen nature boy, Buddy Rogers do, you know? And, uh, and then once, then once he, he 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 didn't really tire of that because he kept doing that right up until his death. But then he became he got the idea of being the intergender wrestling champion, where he could really actually go in a ring and 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 fulfill his lifelong dream of being the bad guy wrestler. So funny, everything he did like just hits me right right in the funny bones. But I mean, he he was so good at what he did, and you were you know you're the huge show of Memphis. You were. You know, just the the perfect guy for him to go up against. I mean, his promo about soap, him calling him Memphis, Tennessee, <laughs> and and the way he would speak, it was just so perfect, isn't it crazy? Well, it was so, it was so funny. Just just a few little little weird facts about that. I'm just, I'm standing here at my house now in Saint Nick. I lived about a uh, half a mile from where I live right now, over on a street called Walnut Grove Road here in Memphis for 26 years. And Andy would come in town, and he would come to my house. And we sat, I, the, those actual interviews that you see him doing, I, basically I wrote and he, we, we wrote them because I knew all about, you know, the, what the people would, what the people would be upset about here in the South, uh, but we'd write the interview. And then I, I actually filmed the interview in the, my front room in my house on Walnut Grove road. We filmed the soap interview. We filmed the toilet paper interview. We filmed the, uh, I don't know. Anyway, we filmed, we filmed several different, you know, first physical hygiene interviews. And, but we only got the show, I think show two or maybe three of them. And then finally the, uh, the program director and the station manager, Moore Griner called me up and said, Jerry, please. And I said, yes, sir. What? He said, please stop showing those Andy Kaufman interviews. He said, is driving, our receptionist completely crazy all week long. She's getting nothing but calls and complaints about Andy Kaufman. And, uh, <laughs> so we actually had to, we had several more of those in the can that we didn't even show because of uh, our general manager of the station asking us not to, that's how much, that's how much animosity Andy created down in, down in Memphis, Tennessee. That is awesome. And it goes to show you that, you know, you guys ran on it together. You guys put it together. So many people before, you know, you kind of came out and told everybody you were friends. So many people legitimately thought you two hated each other. Well, I mean, you know, we, we got put together by uh, my good friend and you need to have him on your podcast sometime. Or maybe you already have Bill after 
but Bill, Bill Apter was, you know, the magazine writer and, and photographer and everything out of, out of New York at the time. And, and Bill was great about, uh, uh, I really, I give Bill Apter credit, uh, back in the territory days, uh, of, of, me be you know helping me get known nationwide through his magazines you know pro wrestling illustrated and all that sort of stuff back then uh bill and i became friends and anything he you know i would send him all our pictures and all our information from our territory and and bill would make sure that it got covered in them in his magazines and he just happened to be at the show i mean that this this is the, the main thing and i actually had vince mcmahon tell me on his plane private plane one day he said Jerry, I can, you can't imagine how jealous I was. And he said, I've never even told anybody this, but you can't imagine how jealous I was. Watching you and Andy Kaufman do all of that stuff, when I knew that he had actually come to uh, the WWE first and offered to do that with us, and we turned him down. And that's exactly what happened. He, he actually went to a show in Long Island, uh, and Bill After was there. He was friends with, uh, Andy was friends with Bill After because they were both from Long Island. And and he he went to I almost certain it was Vince McMahon Sr. and what he wanted to do he said uh, you know I would like to wrestle some women out of the audience here at a wrestling show he said I've been doing it on TV shows Saturday Night Live and I've been doing it in comedy clubs and that sort of stuff he said but it's really not being received that well because they're not wrestling fans he said I just want to do it in front of actual wrestling fans and apparently Mr McMahon told him Andy. I appreciate the offer. He said, but our fans are so skeptical. He said, I'm just afraid to involve a Hollywood actor with our wrestling because I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm afraid that it'll give the wrong impression and that the fans may think that we're all just actors. And so he, he turned Andy down and Bill after, you know, heard the conversation and he told Andy, he said, look, I have a friend, my good friend down in Memphis, Tennessee, Jerry Lawler. He has his own territory, him and Jerry Jarrett. And he said, I'll give you his number and call him. I said, I think they might be really interested in doing something like this. And so that's how we got put together. First bill after said, Andy, Andy Kaufman's going to call you. And I said, what about what? Andy Kaufman? Are you serious? And uh, he said, yeah, I gave him your number. He told me the whole story. And so sure enough, the next day I get a call from Andy and that's how it all came about. And in the beginning, that's all Andy wanted to do was come to Memphis and wrestle women and, and just, just get the experience of being a bad guy. And so then he had been there about four times and we sold out every time he was there. Um, then I got the idea, I, some, uh, some kind of way I need to kind of see if I can get a, get the personal rub off of this big Hollywood star. Right. So then I went to Andy with the idea, I said, Andy, you've gone just about as far as you can go with the wrestling women. I said, you need to have a match with a man. And he said, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do that. I don't want you know, I'll get hurt. And I, don't, I'm done. I just, just want to do the women thing. I said, trust me, you and I could have a match, Andy, and you won't get hurt. And, and this thing could blow up really big. And that's, that's how it all got started, just like that. Such an unbelievable story. You never know who's going to connect who and how the dots are going to get connected. But that is obviously one of my favorite feuds, Funk. And then I have a third one with you. I mean, there's literally a million feuds I could probably name with you. But yeah. a third a third one that it just really sticks out. 1987, you versus Austin Idol. Sprinkle in Tommy Rich. Sprinkle in Bigelow. Sprinkle in Paul Heyman. That feud is so great. And the fact that you almost necessarily, which is crazy for that time, kind of lost a feud to Austin Idol. If you think about it, with the head shaving and the cage and everything and the near riot. You remember that feud, you know, very fondly because to me it's one of those feuds. It's like, wow, I can't believe Lawler, you know, almost. I know you you come back, but you almost necessarily lost that epic feud with Tommy Rich and Austin. Well, Knight. yeah, I mean, we, you know, we we certainly uh, our way of thinking, Jerry Jarrett and I down here in Memphis was uh, as long as as long as the the good guy or the babyface, as long as you finally win the blow off, you know, and and then move on to somebody else. That's that's all you need to do. I mean, I could. Uh, a lot of people would think back and say, "Oh, Lawler never lost in Memphis," and that's certainly not the truth. I would lose and lose and lose, but would pretty much make sure that I would win the blow off, the big, you know, the big. When it got down to uh, nut cutting time, it was time for the king to win. But uh, with with Austin Idol and them, yeah, we just kept piling on the heat and pouring it on them. Do one thing after another to me. Uh, and, and one of the, one of my favorite things that I remember about that feud was, uh, if you, I'm sure you guys have seen some of the tapes where, where idol and Tommy rich pulled me into the ring post, right? Mm -hmm. 
with yep. the with the you know with the leg spread and everything. Well, that we would we would always anything that we had going, we would have to try to incorporate it into uh, into our our wrestling business, or even stuff out of our personal lives, you know. And so, uh, what what was going on exactly right then was I was married to my second wife, Paula. I had already had a vasectomy, and we're t- I'm, I'm really going way way over the line here some of these kind of stories but uh, i'd had a vasectomy with my when, when i was married to my first wife after having two kids back to back within nine months of each other um so and then and then of course then i got married to paula and she all of a sudden she's wanting to have children so um so well okay here we go so i scheduled the surgery to have the vasectomy reversed <laughs> and uh so we we the way we did that i had that i had the surgery scheduled on tuesday morning so on monday night austin idol and tommy rich pulled my leg spread my legs and pulled me into the ring post and i went to the hospital and then the then the people really knew for real that i had surgery that uh, the you know the next day so it just made that it made that feud and uh, everything so much more realistic and so much more uh, entertaining and and just you know it, it just added another dimension to it and that's why you know we did that all the way to the uh, up up to the haircutting uh, thing but then uh, then after that you you have to go back and see I don't remember exactly what it was but somehow I prevailed in the end of that thing to go on to move on to another you know whenever that feud was actually finally over yeah you left for a while then came back and kind of they got their their comeuppance but I love how old school you know you guys are and how you know, you would keep kayfabe to the point where you would, you know, have a storyline scheduled around your surgery. That's, that's going right. pretty, uh, pretty deep, pretty in depth. Well, I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's just the way it, it happened that when you were, when you were under the gun to produce not only a live 90 minute TV show every Saturday morning, but then go into the follow that on Mon- Monday night at the mid South Coliseum. And that was your bread and butter show. Every single Monday night, you're doing a live event. I mean, it would be just like, you know, of course you probably could in, in New York, but it would be just like if the WWE said, Hey, we got to run, we got to run, uh, uh, Madison square garden every single Monday night, you know? And, and we did that in Memphis for 20 straight years, every single Monday night. So you were under the gun to create constantly create something new, something bigger last week. So that's why we, you know, that's why we would constantly come up with all these different things. Any, anything that really happened, we try to make, uh, you know, we'd try to make some sort of angle out of it. I'll never forget one time we had, uh, Billy Travis was, uh, was on our Saturday morning TV show. And, and I, I think I was getting ready to uh, going to have a match with him that, that Monday night. And all of a sudden we look up and the cops are standing in the, in the uh, TV station and they have a word for Billy Travis. And I guess he got behind on his child support and his wife had, had gone out and get swore out a warrant. And then, and it was really embarrassing and everything. And I told the cops, I said, man, he's just about I'm wrestling Monday night. We're going to, we'll get him out on bail. Is there any way though, that you guys can let him finish the TV show? And they said, Oh, Jerry, we, I'm sorry, but we can't, we got to take him now. I said, he can't just go out and cut a two minute promo before you guys take him out. And, and they said, no. And, and I've, you know, I've, I was upset that they weren't kind of even kind of work with us that, that much. And I said, well, I said, if, if you guys are going to do that, then, uh, I said, if you guys can't let him cut a promo, I'm just going to have to film you guys arresting him. No, you can't do that. And I said, well, watch me. And it was a live show. So all of a sudden as they're putting handcuffs on Billy Travis, we had the camera come around and Billy Travis. And I just told him, I said, blame it on me. And, and, uh, all of a sudden here, the people are on Memphis TV are seeing live Memphis police department, you know, the police officers put handcuffs on Billy Travis and taking him out and Billy Travis is screaming, Lawler, you no good jerk. I can't believe you're having me arrested, Lawler. I promise you, you'll pay for this. Monday night, Lawler, I'll, as soon as I get out of jail, I promise you I'll be there and I'll beat your brains out. And, they, and he's screaming this and the <laughs> police are leading him out and putting him in the back of a car. So it was like something that people had never seen before. And, and it was crazy. And they're all wondering, how, what, did, what did he do? Why is Lawler having him arrested? This is amazing. You know, so any, it, like I said, any, any real stuff that happened, had to try to, we had to try to go with the flow with it. 
And you guys did such a good job of that. I mean, there's no denying it. Memphis in itself is just, it's such a, it's such a gateway to history because there's so many cool things that were never seen before and some never seen since. But is there something that you look back on that a fan hasn't discovered yet that you got, you say, you know what, if I'm going to direct you in the way of Memphis, uh, Memphis at its best, what would you point them in the direction of? Oh man, that's, that's a million dollar question right there. Um, man, oh man. Memphis at its best. I, 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 you know what? I, there's no way that I could pick out. I mean, we already, we mentioned three, uh, you know, three different feuds that, that, uh, that were part of uh, all of those would be considered Memphis at its best. Well, I mean, but then so many guys, Joe LaDuke. I mean, we had Joe LaDuke down there and then, uh, the lumberjack, we did such a amazing history of stuff with Joe LaDuke where he came out on TV, Memphis, one of the Memphis best interviews when uh, he came out on TV and he's standing there and I don't know, I just, I just beat him. We had a big match coming up and he says, Jerry Lawler, let me tell you something in the lumber, in the lumber camps in Canada. If we, if we want to make a, make a promise to ourselves." If we want to tell ourselves that we got to remember to do something very important, we take an oath. And he said, he would say, oath. He said, we take an oath. <laughs> and by the, by the way we take an oath, we put a, we put a scar on our body somewhere so that every day we look at that scar and that reminds us that we have to take care of what it is we promised ourselves to do. And he said, right now, I promise you, Lala, I'm going to end your career and I'm going to take this oath. You see this, Lance Russell, this is an ax and this is my arm. And he, and he said, I'm going to put a scar on my arm that I will see every day. And it will remind me that I got to finish Jerry Lawler. And he takes this freaking ax and he just starts sawing on his arm, on his forearm, right? <laughs> and then and Lance is like cringing and everybody's going, oh, my God. And, and sure enough, he just slices open his forearm, that ax, and the blood just starts running down. And, and then, you know, we, we went from that to, to our match down to the Coliseum. He picked me up over his head. He runs me across the ring and throws me all the way out over to this huge, heavy uh, announce table. And it's uh, my uh, my leg hit the side of the announce table, split the muscles uh, in in my leg, and uh, I had to go to the hospital with that. And just I mean, there's just so many so many things that uh, you know that happened with so many stars that I, it'd be impossible to say what's the best. But but Terry Funk, Joe LaDuke, Austin Idol, Andy Kaufman. And Nick Bockwinkel was uh, so awesome. We had him there so so much. And handsome Jimmy Valiant. Oh my gosh, so many things we did with handsome Jimmy Valiant. Bill Superstar Dundee. You know, we had hair matches against each other, and 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 he shaved my he shaved my manager's head. And then uh, then finally I came back and we had the match, and we shaved Bill's head. And then after that, he got so upset he put his wife's hair at stake against mine. We shaved his wife's hair. Uh, it, we, you know, there's just so many things that, that, that happened over that 20 years in Memphis that it's impossible to say this was the best. It's, it's impossible. Now, before I hand it back over to John and we get into the, the second half here, the wrap-up of portion of the show, your album that you put out in the 70s that had... Gone with the Wind. This is longer than Infinity Wars that I just went to see last night. <laughs> I, I just got to ask you about bad news here, and, and I got to tell you, I love that song. I found it in the late 90s on cassette, and I think it was a copy cassette that I found at a garage. It was I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but that song, Bad News, you recorded that. There's a video on there on YouTube. Is there a full-blown video that you made for that song, Bad News? Because I got to tell you, King, y your chops on the mic there are not, uh, not that terrible when it comes to the singing voice. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we made a, we made a full-blown video. Uh, I mean, it's out there's, uh, that was made around my house when I lived in Hendersonville, Tennessee in about 1974 or five or something. And, uh, we go, we went out on the lake and I'm, 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 I'm doing all these heel things. I'm, I'm driving my boat and I see a poor guy out there fishing. I've ran, you know, run my boat around him four times, five times and his, his fishing boat is all rocking. Just different, different stuff is in that video. But that came about with a, a with a guy that worked for me back then. As a matter of fact, still works for me today. He's, uh, he's coming to the store for me right now. His name is Jim Blake. He came to me back in that time and he was also a music guy. He used to own a record store in Memphis and some records, had a lot of friends in the music business. And he came to me with the idea. He said, 
man, we need to go in the studio. He said, I can get the time and I can put together the musicians. And he said, we need to go in the studio and cut a record on you. And I said, Jim, I can't sing. And he said, you don't have to be able to sing. We'll, we'll get, we'll find a song that'll be fitted to you and they talk your way through it. And, and he said, plus I'll get the other mu- good musicians and, and, uh, you know, good engineers and all this stuff. So putting together a, a bunch of musicians. We went into artist studios uh, back in the day and, and we did, we put this song out and it, it was, it was great. in the fact that we, I don't know how many we had pressed at the time, maybe 2000 or something like that, but we sold probably 90% of them would get broken at the minute we sold them. I mean, we would sell them at the matches and the fans would come up and they thought it was going to make me mad, which of course I'd get on the microphone, but they'd, they'd come up and as soon as they bought the record, they'd come up right in front of me and break the record and throw it down and stomp on it. And then of course I, of course I just made a buck off each one <laughs> every time they did that. Right. <laughs> so I'd get on the microphone. I'd say, if I see one more person breaking my record, that's a hit record. That's Elvis Presley. And you got a few people who have the, the nerve to actually break one of my records right in front of me. You know, if I see that one more time, I'll come up and slap everybody in the audience. And of course there's another, 500 people get up and buy that record and break it again. So that was, that was, that was how that started. But then I had so much fun in the studio that I went back as many times and started working with Jimmy Hart and the Gentries and my friend, Tom Nunnery, uh, with the Nunnery brothers band. And we wound up, I did two albums and I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 singles over the years that we just had a lot of fun recording. Of course, they, you know, we sold them at the, at the matches and that sort of stuff. But the, yeah, the recording, the recording, the end of my career was always a lot of fun. Now, as we start to wind it down and get to the end of the interview here, I just had to ask you because <laughs> you went literally heart attack near death. Yeah, you had a stroke. You're still wrestling. You're one of the you know toughest guys ever. You, you dealt with uh, King Kong Bundy, Jesse the Body Ventura, Macho Man Ray Savage, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, all the other guys we mentioned, and you even got ran over by a car for real by uh, Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, I mean. Your career is just absolutely amazing. How could you kind of wrap it up and say, you know, what is your legacy on the business? I mean, you could probably put you on the Mount Rushmore. You're one of the greatest of all time. What would you say is is your lasting legacy on the wrestling business? Well, you know what? I have been asked that before, and I've I've thought about it. And I really don't – I've never really thought of this job, basically, that I've had for 47 years now uh, as – I've never really thought, what am I creating a legacy? What is, you know, what will my legacy be? I just, I've never thought of it in those terms. I've actually just looked around and said, man, how lucky am I that for, for 47 years, I don't feel like I've ever even had to work a day in my life. This has been something that has been so much fun to me. And I tell people, I just spoke at a graduating class in Bolivar, Tennessee, uh, a couple of weeks ago talking to the kids. I said, you know, try to find something in your life that, that you can do that you really love and that feel like you never had to work a day in your life. And that's the way I feel about the wrestling business. I mean, there was a time when I would have, when I first started, I would have paid them to let me wrestle. And, you know, (laughs) then, and I always remember that. And I look back and think, God, I mean, look at what, look at what this business has done for me. I'm, I'm sitting right now in my own version of my, of uh, my bat cave. I'm sitting here on a, on a Superman stool stand. I got a 10 foot tall Hulk uh, standing beside me. I got a six foot five inch Superman statue stand right here that I'm just walking over right now and, you know, touching the fenders on my Batmobile and all of this stuff. I mean, I've got to live an amazing uh, life thanks to the wrestling business. So I don't, I never look at it as what, I got, I mean, or what I put in to be a legacy. I've always looked at it as how lucky I was to get to be a part of a business that could provide something like this for a guy like me. You know, I just, uh, I, I don't even think about legacies or anything. I just really feel like I've been amazingly lucky and blessed uh, during my career. Just like the fans will be on June 9th at Legends of the Ring in Monroe, as well as out on Long Island with Create a Pro's Thy Kingdom Come event. King, we cannot wait to be with you that day and relive a lot of the memories that the fans will have coming up to you. So please, before we wrap it up, just share where they can find your podcast as well as any other social media you got going on in the world of Jerry the King Lawler. Well, my podcast is called Dinner with the King. We're up to about 57 or 58 
episode so far right now, and it's available everywhere on iTunes, Spotify, everything. It's free. You don't have to pay to listen to it or anything. Dinner with um, – I'm on Twitter all the time. I love Twitter. Uh, it's at Jerry Lawler. Uh, that's simple enough. My website is kingjerrylawler.com, and uh, you can get going there. I, I also have uh, T-shirts available through Pro Wrestling Tees right now, brand-new uh, T-shirts out. and Oh, gosh, I don't know. Any, any other kind of social media that I can think of, I'm, I'm out there. Instagram, a real Jerry Lawler, and just all – I don't know. I'm everywhere. King, you're amazing. We can't wait for June 9th. So we will see you then, and thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Okay, guys. My pleasure. Thank you. See you June 9th. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.